0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Mega Pickles. It's Chris and Bruce again. Hey, we are on anchor.fm forward slash the dash Mega Pickles. And we're also on Instagram, the underscore Mega Pickles. Make sure to give us some feedback there. We would love to hear from you guys. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about how we got started in photography.
1: Bruce, do you remember that? Oh, Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so let's see for me, the first, well, my, my dad was an amateur filmmaker and he was just terrible at it, but he was highly enthusiastic. And so there was always like an eight millimeter camera around with a sun gun or something like that. He was the kind of guy that would be driving down the road in in the 57 Chevy wagon with the kids in the back and there's a torrential downpour. So he'd pick up his eight millimeter camera and, and do a nice pan shot from the, driver's window across the windshield to the passenger window and when the wipers would go back and forth he'd pan back and forth with the wipers you know which was just (laughs) nauseating to see projected but he felt like he was covering (laughs) the action he just had absolutely no talent for it but uh i I played around with that camera a little bit uh to no good effect but uh, for me it it got started um between high school and college, uh, I, I, I was getting ready to go work on a BFA, Bachelor of Fine Arts, uh, in illustration and design, or basically visual communications, and there was a, uh, a photo minor in, in that same program. And uh, brother-in-law, uh, who was a graduate of the photojournalism school at Western Kentucky University and went on to teach... Uh, both, uh, summer, uh, sessions at universities and then eventually high school. Uh, he loaned me a Pentax Spotmatic, I believe it was. Yeah. Pentax Spotmatic with a 50 millimeter lens, uh, gave me a little bit of advice, uh, before the, I jumped in the Oldsmobile with mom and dad to drive to California from Indiana, driving from Indiana to California on the break between uh, my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. And, uh, Boy, I had some slide film and I just shot the heck out of that thing. He had he had given me a a handful of little tips on it, uh, and I was just trying anything. I was working that little fifty millimeter for all I could. Um, including sitting a pair of binoculars on a fence post and putting the camera up to that and Mm -hmm. trying to get some telephoto shots of bighorn sheep out in the Rockies and all that stuff. And uh That's fun. When in doubt, I always shot through, you know, a split rail fence or some tree branches, put that foreground interest in there to make sure I had multi-planing in the shot. Uh, Just intuitively did that. And uh, he ended up using a lot of my images, I think, in some of his uh, lectures, you know, on probably as much bad stuff as good stuff. But uh, I had pretty good luck with it and kind of fell in love with it. You know, it was a mechanical form. Uh, was a small part of, of my degree pursuit, but while I was, uh, I think it was between the junior and senior years, I accidentally picked up a women's interest magazine when I was meaning to buy car magazines. It fell open to uh, a call for entries for a competition. This was a Condé Nast publication, uh, Mademoiselle magazine, as I recall, and they had a guest editorship program. Uh, I bought the magazine, read up on what the requirements were to enter. I entered it and then found out some months later that I was being considered as a finalist. They sent an editor out to hang out with me for a day. And wow. I managed to avoid revealing wow. my personality long enough to leave. Uh, have her <laughs> have her leave with a good impression. Uh, I remember we went to the Indiana State Fair and we went to the hog building and looked around. And uh, I was thinking, what are you doing, Bruce? But uh, anyway... Uh, ended up being, uh, I think, the first male to ever win one of the guest editorship positions. I picked 12 college students from around the nation. They'd been doing it since the 1930s. The Mademoiselle guest editorship was uh, extremely well-known and ran for many, many years after I did it. Boom. Boom first airplane ride was to Manhattan. Uh, first time in an airplane ever. I flew to Manhattan. Second airplane trip was to Iceland to shoot sweater collection in Reykjavik, uh, art directing, uh, Arthur Elgort, who is that kid that's so hot right now. What's his name? Ansel Elgort, the young actor, his dad was a big fashion photographer in New York city named his kid after Ansel Adams. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, anyway, uh, bopped around Iceland, uh, Paris and Rome shooting fashion collections. It was, it was crazy. I went from absolutely n- going nowhere to suddenly having a opportunity in New York city, met a ton of people came away from that. Uh, uh, ended up living in a, uh, Penthouse Loft on 5th Avenue, 19th and 5th, just below the Flatiron Building, Had uh, a fashion studio on the front. And the guys that I shared the loft space with had a, a rehearsal studio in the back. Uh, so we were denizens of the night. We, we we did photography and music all night long, slept all day, lived that 1970s bell-bottom life, uh, platform shoes galore. It was uh, crazy. All because I picked up a camera (laughs) and then eventually accidentally picked up a magazine.
0: Do you still have the picture that, um, that you did that won you that, uh, uh,
1: you know, I was, I I, I have the magazine, uh, that they published. Yeah. I just stumbled across it. Yeah. I have the magazine and, and, you know, I, I, it's ridiculous, but, um, they, they're, we'll
0: have to, uh, We'll have to put some pictures. No, of that no, we don't, do that, sure no, no we don't have to do that, Chris. No,
1: no, we don't have to do that. No, did I say? Oops! Oh, the trash man just came. And uh, honey, you throw that. Oh, she threw that out. But uh, yeah, it, it was uh, it was super interesting times, and uh, it, you know, I'm. Uh, <laughs> Things changed like crazy back then. You couldn't get you couldn't get your stuff seen like you can now. Now you get an Instagram, and maybe there's 80 billion people with Instagram pages, but you can get your imagery out there. Back when I was trying to get noticed, you literally had to show up. You had to have prints. You had to leave your portfolio with the receptionist at the front desk in some Manhattan skyrise, and uh, and wait and see if they even looked at it. But. Uh, I I, I, luck favors the prepared, you know, I've always been sort of prepared Mm -hmm. to go at a hundred percent. And when I see an opportunity to stick my foot in a door, I do, you know, and uh, that's led to some really gratifying moments, both uh, creatively and and fiscally, you know, you, you you, you gotta be quick on your feet. You gotta be, I'm not saying fake it till you make it, but you should be exercising your chops, trying to get better you you can't find your passion you can't find your style unless you shoot a lot so just be doing that it's doesn't cost anything now i mean when it was film processing and buying the film it was there was a monetary obstacle there but now you pretty much chase your dream and hope somebody finds you and i've talked to more than a few uh what what i'd call long timers pros like myself that have been at it forever and the website is virtually considered meaningless these days i mean i don't maintain my website at all i probably should but it it's a hundred percent about getting clients through the other social media channels like instagram and things like that but uh
0: yeah i find that the social media channels are very much a living portfolio where yeah. versus a website that feels like a parking place
1: yeah, and I, you know, I'm I'm sure my sponsors don't share my feelings that the some aspects of social media are uh, more meaningless than others because they like you to be on all platforms all the time. But, uh, you know, every, every old pro, I, it, it, my biggest jobs have come through people who have randomly stumbled across me, and I just push the right buttons for them, you know, enough to make them give me a call. And and then from there, if if my personality is not on hiatus, I can usually uh, convince them that I am the right person to work with, and and then we go from there.
0: Uh huh.
1: Uh huh. So how about you? What was your very first? Uh, what what set the hook for you?
0: Well, what set the hook was Joe and I uh, started a dog training and photography business, mm-hmm. and for me, photography at that point, you know, nearly 15 years ago, was not something that I was going to do full time. It was simply going to be a supplemental income to what she was already doing, meaning she would get the clients and they would come in and and we'd photograph their dogs in the studio and then, you know, if they wanted to, we could photograph them and their dogs. And that was it a, a, additional source of income, you know, revenue stream for the dog training business that was, you know, just off the charts. And, um, uh, when I I had the luxury of sitting back and being the backroom operator for the dog training and photography business. And I saw the, I saw the deposits grow day by day, month by month, year by year. In fact, I would send Joe a text and say, Oh my gosh! You know, can you believe that we made X amount this month? Now that got us to the point where Joe and I always have one uh, one big dinner every every year. It's it's the big dinner where we sit down and and we connect and say, how are we going to help each other in the in the coming year? It's not necessarily a gold uh, a goal setting as much as it is just a, a recommitment to our business, to ourselves, um, just moving, always moving forward. And I remember when she said, you know, it's time for you to leave your corporate job. And that was the scariest, it was the scariest conversation I've ever had because you're, you, you have these, um, uh, you have these golden handcuffs that are that are laced with velvet on them, and you you get really comfortable there. You get your biweekly direct deposited health insurance, you know, security, pension, four hundred one k, all of that, and I'm going to walk away from it. Now that that's scary. Again, I had the advantage of seeing the deposits and knowing that you know financially speaking, we. We're, we're in a very good spot. So I literally took the plunge, and there's no there's no better way to say that than I did. I, I put in my resignation and left my corporate job. In the first year, Bruce, I can honestly say I learned more about business than I was in banking and finance for 13 years prior to that. Mm-hmm. I learned more about business in the first year of being self-employed than I Ever learned in school, and that I ever learned in a corporate job. Now, my previous uh, my previous job uh, did give me a lot of skills that I carry over to today, um, but I also, uh, you know, in in that second year, the probably the biggest thing that I learned is that. Um, a non-revenue generating employee has just as much value as a revenue generating employee. And that was important to me Oh, you know, under, well, you know, specifically uh, what that meant was when Joe is driving to her dog training appointments, we're putting on anywhere from 60 to 80,000 miles every year on our truck as she, you know, meanders through the valley and, and hits her, her appointments, but it's just as valuable for her as a revenue generating, I say employee with air quotes, but you know, she's part owner in the business with me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just as important for her to have that downtime between appointments. Mm-hmm. So we have, we hired somebody to an assistant for Joe to drive the truck around so that oh. Joe had time to decompress from yeah. Yeah. the last appointment before she goes into the new appointment but mm-hmm. also she has time to generate revenue you know mm-hmm. by following up or sending mm-hmm. out um uh training plans and things like that
1: mm-hmm. so it
0: it's it's been very eye opening from that aspect and mm-hmm. and I can honestly say you know this is very businessy not photography but uh the one thing that I've really learned in business is that um no matter what you're doing, you own a sushi restaurant or you're a dog training a photography business, you have a lot of the same challenges. And, you know, being self-employed, you, you can really give each other that nod and, and understand the blood, sweat, and tears that go into it. All of that aside, Bruce, um, when it came to photography, at the point that I left my corporate career, I knew that I didn't know enough and I, you know, we talked about this on a previous episode, but I knew that I didn't know enough. And so I thrust myself into the business and technical side. Um, from there then, what uh, what I ended up learning was the creative side to photography. Mm-hmm. And that has been a nonstop journey. And it's one of those things that I hope people... Um, are in it long enough that they don't just get, they don't just plateau on the gear level, but Mm -hmm. you go on to that creative pursuit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you, you know, I could tell a version of my career that's just nothing but the highlights and the greatest hits and all the stuff that went right. Of course, there's plenty of things that went horribly wrong, but not horribly, horribly wrong. You know, I've, I've I think knock on for Micah. I've, I've never had anybody hurt on one of my shoots. Uh, uh, I'm very. Conscientious about not putting anybody in a situation that I wouldn't put myself into first. Uh, that's not necessarily a, a guarantee that it's a good idea because I'm filled with poor choices. But, um, to, to be, uh, I, I, I might occupy sort of the flip side of the coin. I, I came into it with a great deal of comfort with the creative process maybe uh unearned but still uh, a degree of confidence and and the business side was something that just sort of had to figure figure itself out for me you know i i i guess in the early years my philosophy was if if i'm doing the creative part right the money will find me and to some extent it did uh certainly uh, uh I I worked as I've had I've been employed three times. I, I was a stock boy when I was like 14 or 15. I got fired for being too mouthy and then I <laughs> <laughs> I went oh and I got fired after Christmas, you know, when when they didn't need any employees any uh, anymore. <laughs> and and it's a little bit like I I feel so bad for people that kicked off their business any kind of business just prior to the pandemic. You know, because there's been so many people that just committed to a studio rent or whatever, or bought some equipment or whatever, and, and the bottom fell out of it. But, uh, getting shit canned early on kind of made me think that being the captain of my own ship was going to be a good thing even if I was a shitty captain at least i knew uh i i, I didn't keep it from myself that there was a massive hole in the hull and we were going down uh it, it, as a freelancer i always pay myself extremely well when when the uh things are going well and I know to cut down my, I don't fire myself, but I certainly cut down on my compensation when things are slow and I, I need to bridge some gaps. I did work as a staff photographer at one point. There was uh, when I finished my stint in New York and I wasn't cut out to be in New York or I like being outside in spaces larger than central park. Uh, so I didn't stick out the Manhattan thing for but, uh, I, I did have an opportunity to take on a staff position for a feder- federated dry goods, uh, uh, brand, uh, Lazarus department stores that were in the Midwest at the time. And were coming into Indiana. I, I went back to Indiana after New York, uh, in the ill-fated pursuit of a female. But, um, while I was back there, uh, I, I landed this job shooting, uh, all, all the newspaper ads and, and, catalog stuff pre-internet. So a lot of still print ads uh, for this department store. So I would be shooting, you know, socks sitting on a table or a a gal in a, you know, ready to wear spring dress or something, whatever. It was all all the stuff all the time. And that was really interesting. And it made me realize I didn't want to be an employee. I didn't want to go in and punch the clock at eight o'clock and, and and leave at five and and know that I'd be coming back into some more socks and some more, you know, little black dresses or, or flats or whatever we were shooting that week. <laughs> um, and then I wasn't employed again, but I did work under the banner of another production company, a big effects house in Hollywood. And that place went Tango Uniform while I was at the peak of my career, the company that I was working through went out of business and uh, left me holding a promissory note, high, high in the six figures that never got paid off. But I, I rebounded from that and opened Bruce Dorn Films in my own company and, and was off to the races again. Smartest thing I ever did was realize that Two per two people can do the work of three easily. So once I put a producer in in place, that was the 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 smartest move I ever made. Was, uh, you know, assistants are great, um, business partners, this and that. But a producer, somebody who's basically their whole job is to produce new work for you to do, bid jobs, uh, you know, manage sales reps and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that really made my work take off now that was not without its own pitfalls because some of those producers suffered sudden emotional breakdowns and <laughs> disappeared into the night you know oh, no. le- leaving me with some pretty interesting bookkeeping sometimes but uh you know it, it it's it's it it keeps coming back to the thing of uh opportunity knocks very faintly you have to tune your ears to that. You know, it may not be that a job comes in as a job. It's just that you suddenly meet somebody that's doing something interesting and you see something about their pursuit, their business that they don't as clearly see because you're, you're viewing it from, you know, a different perspective. And you, you can quite often go in there and say, you know, I might be able to help you sell more of those widgets, or I might be able to help you, uh, you know, uh, s- develop this big piece of ranch land that you're going to turn into little ranchettes, you know, uh, or or maybe your your flying service, uh, you know, this takes tourists around. Maybe it should be expanded into some kind of aerial surveying stuff and we could do some work together, trade out some imagery for you, for you to get me up in the air every now and then. There's a lot of ways... To plant seeds and then water them furiously to a a fruitful conclusion. So you gotta, you gotta really. I mean, the creativity isn't just what happens when your eye is behind the viewfinder and there's something out there that needs to be photographed. the 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 creativity is the entirety of the process of developing a career. You know, it's not what you do; it's got to be who you are to a certain extent
0: there's just as much creativity in business and I had to learn that as well that wasn't something that was given to me early on that that is definitely something that has developed over time you know things aren't just black and white you sure you go to McDonald's and you pay you know I don't you know a dollar for the dollar menu and get your burger but when it comes to being self-employed, there are many gray areas that we operate in to make that living. Um, I've found it over and over and over again. And one of those, one you know, clear example of that is with the photography retreats, I'm the, only, I, I'm the only person that I know that allows people to make payments on those retreats. Most mm-hmm. of the time, it's right up front. You take a deposit and then the next is you know, the, the entire tuition where I will take on the business liability and mm-hmm. allow people to break those down into budget-friendly payments mm-hmm. that allows you to um, still get your seat in the, in the photography retreat. But from the business side, it allows me to be whole as well. Mm-hmm. And I cross my fingers. I've never been burned on that. Mm-hmm. But it's usually something that people don't want to take on because it comes with a whole host behind the scenes of the photography retreat. You know, I, I have to keep up on the accounting end of it, make sure that everybody is paid up, send mm-hmm. out reminders. If they're not paid up, you know, communicate with them. And a lot of people don't like to do that. Mm-hmm. Just as, you know, as we talk about getting started, going back to what you said, Bruce, Um, we wouldn't be here without the good and the bad experiences. You know, yeah, we would love to look back and go, man, it's all the good things that got us here, but it's the bad things too. Those bad things, the answer no sometimes can give us just as much information as the answer yes does. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, the the last thing I would say about being self-employed and getting to where we're at today is you— being self-employed you have to not have to but we have a we have experienced the highs of highs and the lows of lows and it, it can be an emotional roller coaster oh, yeah. in these times
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah your creativity is to a certain extent your a reflection of your personality and and who you are so when somebody <laughs> rejects your work it's hard not to feel that they're rejecting you but you know just as anyone with uh well-formed adult personality must be you 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 have to have um you, you have to be thick-skinned and you have to be able to uh stand your ground on stuff just because somebody doesn't like your work doesn't mean it's not likable work just because somebody can't afford you doesn't mean that you're overpriced um i i would That's uh right. add, because uh, as i think we've both said um just because it, it seems expensive to you uh it, it, <laughs> you you're in you' in, you're inadequately uh, 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 funded to work with me that's that's really what's going on there. I'm, I'm not too expensive because in, in some realms I'm really inexpensive but I, I, I would uh, maybe as we're getting toward the end of this one circle around to some some little truisms. I'm going to just uh, start this, and I'll throw it back to you in a minute. But one of the truisms, I would say, in getting started in your career is to figure out where you're at. Uh talked about this before. If you're in a big urban area, you're, you've are you got one set of opportunities. If you're in a medium-sized flyover city, uh, you've got another set. If you're in a rural community, you've got another set. But I would say that, generally speaking, when you're starting, you y- y- don't be afraid to be a generalist, a general practitioner. And, and in fact, in some communities, that's the highest honor, you know, in a small sort of, I'll call the one horse town. If you have one general practitioner in town, he's likely to do some little, you know, some little surgical operations out in the waiting room or whatever. He needs to be able to do whatever he needs, has to do because he's the only game in town. And, uh, Boy, there's, there's, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I I'd, I'd choose a general practitioner every time because they've just got so much of a broad based experience uh, to call upon. But the higher you go, the more you need to specialize. I was kind of told that early on when I, I had access to some real high roller clients before I was, you know, truly adequately prepared to be servicing that part of the industry. And I remember, uh, the art director at, at Vogue magazine told me, you know, you, you, you write, you illustrate, and you photograph, which are you? Are you a writer? Are you an illustrator? You're a photographer. You have to decide because nobody wants to have surgery done by a general practitioner. They want a specialist, you know, you don't want a, a, a GP to go in there and do brain surgery on you. You want the guy that really knows his way around your noodle. And, uh, and and, that, and that's a that's a fair statement um I immediately reacted to that notion that I had to specialize I reacted negatively because I get too much joy and too much uh, fulfillment out of the variety of the things that we can do so my trick was to be secretly a specialist in a in a, in a bunch of areas you know uh, and I ended up, at one point, and this was the roaring 80s when you could kind of, you know, a monkey could could do really well uh, <laughs> because there was just a lot of money flowing everywhere. But um, <laughs> uh, I ended up with sales reps, multiple sales reps. One person would represent me to the automotive industry, you know, and make a case for me being a great sheet metal shooter and that I understood action and all that stuff. And then over here, I've got another person carrying my reel that has absolutely no automotive on it. It's nothing but food and beverage. Oh, he can really do good tabletop. He can do liquid pours and he can do smiling, happy faces, biting smiles, you know? So I ended up having highly uh, uh, formulated, not formulated, but but sort of uh, concise demo reels of particular specialties. And, and that really worked out for me because, you know, Nobody wants a wedding photographer to shoot the cover of Vogue. I'm sorry to break it to you, you know, but, uh, and, and, and nobody wants somebody that has, uh, you know, shot a couple of junior high, uh, football games covering the Olympics. You've got to, you've got to really qualify for those, those higher rungs, but, you can do it, and you should strive to do that. As you are a general practitioner, you're going to be doing different stuff. You're going to hate some of it. You're going to love some of it. Gradually winnow out the stuff that you love the most, and then reach further, cast your net further. If your specialty is, you know, highly focused to a very narrow area, then you have to reach all of the potential buyers of that highly focused narrow area coverage. So, the work mm-hmm. the work never ends. The reinvention never ends. But it is one of the most gratifying careers I can think of because the camera is a ticket to observe, to be behind the ropes, to be behind the scenes, to cause a scene. You know, there's just so many opportunities uh, <laughs> that, that come with this uh, particular career choice.
0: Yeah, very much so. Um, I would, you know giving somebody advice for getting started and knowing where you're at to play off of what you said. Uh, I know that a lot of my audience tends to be in rural areas. They don't have, you know, it's not easily accessible to go to town to be part of photography groups. In those cases, I would, I would say, go online with the caveat that, um, sometimes there there's folks out there there's no shortage of internet trolls as we know, and you have to be able to discern the information that you're getting um, because the inf- information that comes in that's negative at the wrong time, wrong voice can really have a negative impact on you. So you know perhaps you look at static courses um, and I'll plug the mega pickles here because we're we are producing our video series that um, will be up and and you'll be able to subscribe to those, but um, look for those video series that are static and then start looking for feedback. So that's where, that's where I would go with it, Bruce, and uh, take us out with some parting thoughts.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would say that uh, what we're trying to do with our little uh, subscription series is to, focus on teaching you how to think as much as teaching you how to, uh, exercise technique or, uh, trickery. Uh, ultimately I think what has benefited me the most over the course of my career is the capacity to problem solve, you know? So, uh, while we may not give you, you know, oh, F, F8, uh, 500th of a second, ISO 200 is going to work right here every time you're going to just knock it out of the park. Oh man, you won't believe it. No, every time it's it's a process of discovery and uh, uh, recognizing and breaking rules as is appropriate. And that requires you to uh, have an opinion and to then follow up with actions that support that opinion. So, uh, you'll find an audience. I mean, I, I strongly believe that if you're really good at it, doesn't matter how highly specialized you are. There's an audience out there. It's just locate, locating where they're at. Yep.
0: With that, Bruce, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend, uh, folks. Remember we're on Instagram at the underscore mega pickles and we're on anchor.fm forward slash the dash Mega Pickles. Leave us a voicemail there. Send us a message on Instagram. We would love to hear from you. Take care, my friend.
1: Okay, buddy. See you soon.